Hey, everybody. We are back. We missed you. We're back from Miami. We've been saving up news all week and to talk to you. Uh, we're going to start out with the, the topic everybody wants to talk about. What the hell happened at the All-In Summit? It was nuts. Hell? People want to know about Palmer Lucky. They want to know about the parties. So we're going to just recap all that. Molly, I'm going to go back and forth. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was quite amazing. And uh, we'll tease the This Week in Startups live tour as well. Exactly. Coming to a town near you. Then yeah. we're going to talk about another We Live in the Future startup called Argo AI. Autonomous driving is not so far in the future anymore. It's coming and uh, it's going to be awesome. We're also going to dig into a report and, and see if this is uh, accurate, fake news, real news. What, what actually is going on here? Because there's a headline that Amazon is looking to sublet 10 million square feet of warehouse space. So is this indicative of some major problem in the economy? or for Amazon itself. Well, let, let's do the math as we're prone to do here, Molly. We'll do a little math and figure out what's going on. Gonna, I'm learning to love the math and things I never saw coming. It is going to be a great show. So stick with us. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash startups. Intercom. If you're an early-stage, high-growth startup, you can get access to Intercom's Early Stage Academy today at a 95% discount. Join the program today at intercom.com slash early-stage or email them at startups at intercom.io and open phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. Open Phone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. Hey, everybody. It's Monday. We're back from the All In Summit. Molly, first impressions of the summit? Any I know. general feedback for me about or for the audience about what that was like? <laughs> the all-in summit uh for those of you twist listeners who may not be familiar jason does another show <laughs> <laughs> on fridays with three maniacs. on fridays with three maniacs and all those maniacs got together and had a conference in miami and uh it may or may not have been a super spreader event as i'm seeing from at least one other noti in the <laughs> um uh no it was it was actually a remarkable event it was tremendous like first of all our team is incredible and put on a phenomenal phenomenal Event. Phenomenal, yeah. The well, I mean, Nodi, okay, let's the, be specific. The besties, yes. Yeah. Go go down the list. Just take a moment to catalog in your mind, because um, there were obviously parties. Mm -hmm. There were lunches. Yep. There was the networking, and then there was content on stage. There was swag. Maybe we could just go back and forth of the of the highlights of those things. Yeah. And just take people through what the experience was like, because we started on Sunday night with the party that was called Good Besties, like a Goodfellas yep. kind of send up. And you were there for that, yeah. No, I flew in too late for that one. You flew in too late for that? Okay, yep. yeah, a couple yep. of people got in too late. But that was, to me, like, um, it was overwhelming. Mm. Like, walking in there, it was but That was like when you guys realized that you were freaking rock stars. It was At like a rock event. star kind of moment. Yeah, yeah, it was bizarre in that 
the people who are coming to this, there was no promotion for this except at the end of episodes. Uh, and, you know, I tweeted a couple of times, but at the end of each podcast, I said, hey, we're doing this all in Summit. Google all in Summit if you want to come. And uh, my Lord, people got dressed up and 700 people showed up and we spent a million dollars on three parties is my understanding. It showed. It and really showed. It, they were nuts. So that yeah. party, people dressed up as gangsters. There was a Frank Sinatra, like three-piece band singing, you know, classics. Hoboken's Eleven. Uh, that's the band? Oh, God, that's amazing. They were great. And, um, you know, there was like a grappa and biscotti tasting area. There was a gelato area. There was a pasta station. There was steak florentine i mean everything was just blown out to you're getting like portions. more goodfellas the more you describe it too <laughs> like and then we had a poker tournament there was the and guys the, <laughs> and there was this guy there was a poker tournament everybody got to play in the poker tournament the top three winners got fifteen thousand five thousand five thousand and five thousand to donate to charity so i think that's 15 plus 15 so thirty thousand went to charity of their choices um and it, it, it was just crazy because, you know, when Shabbath walked in, I walked in, everybody started taking pictures with us. I, I swear to God, Molly, I took, I would just say, give me your phone. Boom. I take it from the same amount. Boom. Hundreds of them. And then yep. the content was amazing. The content was fantastic. It really was. I mean, the, I gotta say, like yeah, my, go my big, I think that the, the conference 100% accomplished the goal of the show, which was we have to be able to. Here, we have to be able to have conversations on a wide variety of topics on which we may not agree and then still get along. And there were, yes. of course, multiple instances, including uh, one <laughs> big one. <laughs> of people not getting along very <laughs> people well. People not getting along very well uh, and, and working through and. differences, right? Rupture and repair was occurring in some cases in real time on stage. Um. And so I, I think guess that we that should goal, just go right to that moment. I that mean. goal was really, yeah, I mean, come on. Like there were like a lot of headlines, but the 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 big one I think that ended up being in exactly the spirit of the show was Palmer Lucky. Um, so what I had said was, all right, I, I guess describing, Molly, can you describe what he did? So or do Palmer we not have Lucky, that in the notes? Yeah. Palmer Lucky, who of course was the, no, oh, I, I remember. You remember? Remember? You remember? Okay. Palmer Lucky, of course, uh, yes. inventor of Oculus, uh, was fired. Very smart from, person. Yeah. Very, very smart person. Was fired from Facebook after it was revealed. I'm just giving all of this like background very quickly as a setup. It was revealed that he had been, it seems like, bankrolling some anonymous accounts on Reddit that were like spreading conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton. That it was like the it was back in you know at during allegedly. the election. We'll put the allegedly. allegedly. Yes. yes, we'll put the allegedly in there. He has since gone on to found a very successful company called Anduril, which does uh, national defense drones. And he gave an impassioned speech at All In about the importance of uh, the tech industry working with our military. Right, that we got to have the Something best technology in the world. I agree with something you agree with. You've invited yes. him on the show a long time, and then he's like. On another note, uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> this I might. Knew, I always backstage. I was like, like, uh oh, I just here went, it freaking uh -oh. comes here. It freaking here it comes. comes. Begins to come for Jason very personally for uh, getting him fired, trashing him, calling him an idiot. He was reading tweets. It sort of started out like for a minute or so. It felt like maybe like a roast, mm -hmm. and then 
it just kept going. And it was very personal, right? Like it was, he was emotional. He was talking yes. about how he has all of this rage because Jason and his co-hosts would try, by the way, Chamath asked me like, did he mean you? <laughs> about yeah, the co-host no, thing? Thank you. I was like, I episode. wasn't even there then, man. Yeah. But maybe I was on that. I have no idea. We can't seem to find it. But it just, it went on for a long time. He talked about how he has a lot of personal rage about how Jason and people like Jason tore him down and do that to founders and that it's this really negative atmosphere. And uh, at which point, by the way, uh, all of the security in the building, including Jason's brother, are like, do we need to take <laughs> this guy out? Like, it's like, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot how's on. this going to end? Yes. yes. And, and then this is the part where it becomes in the spirit of the show. Jason comes up yep. on stage. It is like, importantly, I think, hey, man, I'm sorry. Well, I, I said the first thing I said was a little joke. I was like, hey, great to meet you in person. <laughs> yeah, right, that too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Got, that got a little left. But right. I mean, here, here's the background on what I said about him. Um, and we're going to we're going to publish this as an all in episode. Yeah. So, I mean, I basically said, if it's true. And I, I remember saying this because I always I mean, people who listen to the show know this, you know, Smiley. I say, if this is true you know, allegedly, like I, I always put the caveats in there because I know a lot of news that breaks, we don't know if it's true or not, or, you know, the, the three different versions of the truth, Palmer's, Facebook's, and the actual truth, whatever. Right, right. So I'm, I'm always pretty clear about that. I, to my memory, and I'm trying to find the video that he quoted, because I would like it to be super accurate. Um, I said something like, if you're going to post like these kind of memes and stuff like that, if it's true, like, you should post it under your real name. And right. if under your real name, people find it uh, offensive, like your family, your wife, I don't know, your spouse, the people you work with, it should be an indication that maybe you shouldn't be posting it. And so to pay a bunch of shit posters or whatever, $9,000, if that's what happened, I, we don't know what happened because Facebook, when they fired him, didn't give any details. They're obviously, you know, not going to put the details out there. They, I said it's gross, right? And so he took it very personally, but then he made this kind of weird, his, his, he made a, a, a weird um, uh, theory that I ruined his career. Right, and it was that very personal. I, that Zuckerberg fired him because of me mm -hmm. and that I destroyed his career and he had to claw it back, which, I mean, let's be honest, I'm not that powerful. I'm just a podcast host. I, there's, I'm not making decisions for Zuckerberg. Right. Zuckerberg whoa, 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 right? whoa. Let's just, you're not just a podcast host. Okay. But there's some power. But are you getting people fired from Facebook on by dint of your news roundtable? Probably no, not. You know? No, definitely yeah. not. I mean, and I am but one of a thousand members of the press. But the point is, I think it was framed in that moment as, you know, pro-Trump versus anti-Trump. And, and that's why I want to pull the tape so I can play it for people and just, you know, get a refresher on my memory, to, if I'm being totally honest, because this was years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, that I just thought it was gross. So, um, and, you know, he did say Jason, he did say Jason and people like Jason, but it, it was kind of personal. But people in the audience were kind of taken back because you got to remember, these were the people who really are my super fans. So he came into the lion's den of my super fans, you know, people I had given discount tickets to, who have been watching the pod for many years. And so they were in shock. And so I just had, you know, people, somebody's crisis PR person happened to be backstage, like the PR person, they start giving me advice. And I was like, I, I don't really don't need any advice about this. I'll, I'll take all commerce head on. No, no problem for me. So I get out there and, and we have a discussion. I said, Listen, if I hurt your feelings, or I said something that was rude, 
or, you know, hurt your family or something like that. I apologize straight up. I think the work you're doing is important. But I took the approach of I'm going to ask him three times why he was fired from Facebook. Yeah. And I said, hey, why were you fired from Facebook? And then he went on his, you know, tirade about me. I said, hey, but why were you fired from Facebook? And then finally, a third time, I said, I'll ask you for a third and final time. Why were you? And he said, I can't say whatever. So that was it. You know, I basically um, uh, made it super honest and clear to him, you know, why uh, I said those things. Uh, and I also told him, listen, I think the work you're doing is very important. So while we disagree about Trump, or we disagree about Hillary and how to handle those things. Uh, and in Silicon Valley, this is my observation, Molly, in Silicon Valley, it's probably 80% or 90% of people um, really were offended by Trump. And maybe 10 or 20% were like Republicans or on the right. And then if you look at military and support of the military, it might be 80% or 70 or 80% Silicon Valley don't want to support the military and make weapons and maybe 20% or 30% do. I'm taking a guess here. You, You tell me if I'm directionally correct. So on one thing, we're in the 80 and he, you know, I'm in the 80, he's in the 20. But in the other, we're both in that 20% where I support the work he does. So I said, listen, whatever our political differences are, I think the more important thing here is I want to talk to you about the weapon systems you're making to protect Taiwan, Ukraine, the United States from, you know, an increasingly dangerous world with dictators. And I tried to just make it part of that, you know, and, and steer the conversation towards that. So um, on All In, we are going to play it, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to play the actual tape of what I said after him, and I'm going to break down my thoughts on it with either myself or maybe with the besties themselves. Because I do think it was, to your point, Molly, a representative of what we're trying to do there is have hard conversations. Yeah, because you owned it, and you guys hugged it out. And who knows if that was real. The hug was a lot. Hey, everybody. I'm here with my pal, Tom Eschbacher. He is the senior sales manager at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And today, we're going to talk about marketing for startups. And LinkedIn did a great new internal report called Today in Startup Marketing. Welcome to the program, Tom. Thanks, Jason. We all know organic reach, super important. You make great content, you get your likes, you get your shares, you get your comments. But what people don't know is that you can boost organic and it creates a bit of momentum on your site. Can you unpack that for people? Definitely. So organic is just going to go to the audience who's already following you and then a smaller group of members who are connected to any of those audiences. So what we often encourage is keep an eye on your organic engagement metrics and and who are the people and companies and segments that are engaging most frequently with your content and then amplify that reach via our best-in-class paid advertising targeting. So what that means and what we've seen, especially for seed and series A companies, is by boosting successful organic posts with paid, it results in a 13x lift in unique reach. And that's really meaningful insights that can help inform your product and go-to-marketing strategies and open up new audiences for you. You can go to linkedin.com slash This Week in Startups and get the report for free as well as a hundy, $100 from Tom. I will say, not to reopen the wound, that I do... Please don't do it. Okay, do it. Go ahead, do it. (laughs) That, like, I think it's fair to be like, hey, man, you control a lot of weapons now. Are you okay? (laughs) You good? 
You good, bro? <laughs> Sorry, you're making me laugh, Molly. Like, I listen. I'm I don't saying, think like, he's gonna fly two drones or three over minutes my house. of that. <laughs> it was. Uh, I don't. I, it's I, not even about your house or you. I just am like. Do you, there, do you, you did this? wonder, it, it, one did wonder if he's okay, because he was very emotional during this. Um, and but I was okay with it. I, I love, I love conflict. I, I just, whenever mean, I you see really conflict, do, by the way, you really do. I, I embrace conflict. You know why? Um, number one, I grew up a fighter. And so when a fight starts, kind of doesn't change my blood pressure in a bad way. I kind of yeah. get into it. It's a very... I mean, maybe it's dark, but I kind of like a good fight. Um, it, it, hopefully not physical, but I, I like a good debate. Yeah. Um, and I like a little conflict because you know what? It means there's something important there. Yeah, it and means so, there's something at stake. And by the way, I don't mean he's coming for you. I just sort of mean like much in the in the way that like if you're Peter Thiel, whose motives I have a lot of questions about, and then you control a company that does a really, 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 really powerful thing, and you sell that to the that tier, thing yeah. to the government. Yeah. Like it's it's sort of in the same vein as me. Like, what are there larger motivations about what you are trying to accomplish that I should have questions yeah. about? So anyway, yeah. I'm not gonna like I don't need to I don't need to anyway start it all it, over it, again. It was it be I the mean, co-host after all that he does mean. It, it was just an incredible moment, and it was then a we, there was moment. a debate at the event between um, uh, um, Antonio uh, Martinez and. Uh, Antonio, Gar Antonio yeah. Garcia Martinez, Garcia sorry, Martinez, the Garcia, yeah. uh, and also uh, Glenn Greenwald, mm -hmm. and they've debated Ukraine. What did you think of that, Molly? I that was definitely a little bit of a two-on-one situation. It was a good conversation, but it was a lot of filibustering by Glenn Greenwald. Sachs was involved in that. Um, Sachs was involved in that. I but mean, I also it was, thought a great they debate. They were good conversations. I actually thought yeah. the conversation with Glenn Greenwald, like I thought Antonio Garcia Martinez was so. He did a great job. Eloquent. He, he was, he's funny. very eloquent as always. He was very funny as always. It was, it's good to hear these like really very profoundly different. He won. I mean, basically he won, right? I, I kind of felt like if you oh, asked the 100%. audience to vote, he, it would have been 70%. He won. Yeah. A hundred percent. He's quick witted. So. He, he's, he's quick witted. He's very he's well quick witted. And he's funny. You know, I kind of, I feel like. Yeah, and so also, yeah, not to give too much away, because again, you're going to hear these like you're going to hear these. On the, and I do want to explain to the audience who like the noties are like, why can't you put them out sooner? It's because we got these files. Huge these files, were, these were recorded files. in like 4K, right? So the, the processing of all of these files Took literally takes time. Um, but yes, among things that were said during that debate were Antonio Garcia Martinez responding to Glenn Greenwald with, wow, I think your argument sounded better in the original Russian. Oh, oh, it was a sick dunk, sick dunk. <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, it was amazing. yeah, so it was, it, the content was great. And then you made it to the two parties. Uh, mm -hmm. You went big on the Miami Vice Party, I have to say. I bought a Miami, crimper. Just You bought a it. crimper. Man, when people see these pictures, it's going to be great. Uh, you really went big. We had a Miami Vice 80s party that was amazing. Great DJ. Shout out to my guy, Mick. If you ever need a great DJ and you got some cash laying around, he's, he's not cheap, but my God. Uh, he got the party started. So I look out of the corner of my eye and I see DJ Spielberg, who wrote the theme song uh, for All In, the famous theme song, I'm Going All In, is on the dance floor. And because we had a great ratio, I mean, this is another thing to bring up, Molly. Was that not the best ratio for tech conference ever, uh, just in terms of the diversity there? I mean, honestly, yes. Like, yeah, the, I mean, like, and kudos to you for working really, really hard on that specific thing. 
Like there were a lot of women. There were people of color. Exactly. I was afraid all in summit would be a boys club. Instead, I found women who are as brilliant as they are kind and men who are as inclusive as they are accomplished. There really was also, uh, I mean, all of the women speakers that you had were so prepared. Somebody tweeted, you know, I thought a fair, uh, maybe not as fair to Nate Silver, but, you know, was like the women who spoke at all in summit were like, prepared they had all they, this they, data they, they had slides they were like mic yeah. drop mic drop mic drop you know um, yeah and a number of the men got to just like show up and shoot the shit which was yeah, i think you know but again, i liked that that i liked that that was the perception because the women really crushed it i here's here's the challenge uh and I, i'm i'm always you know i keep it 100 molly you know that you know the the all-in pod uh as you and i have discussed you know, sometimes people might perceive it as a boys club because it's four boys uh, talking. It happens to be four guys who became friends. And not, no different than The View, right? The View is all women. So there is this, you know, thing in media where you might have a collection of women or a collection of men as a show format. So there is inherently that problem with both shows, right? I'm sure people have made this criticism of The View where there's a couple of View copycats, right? I don't know the names of them. And so people just assumed it's going to be old boys club. And obviously it's tech and finance, which are also, you know, still uh, majority uh, male dominated, uh, especially yeah. in, in higher positions. So what I did was I, I looked at the first 200 people who bought the full flight tickets, you know, which were not cheap, 7,500 bucks. And my jaw dropped. I, I mean, I was like 90, maybe it was the first 50 came in. It was 91% male. And I just said, for F's sake, I don't want to go to this conference. I don't want to be with a bunch of dudes. It's like just not fun, right? Um, and uh, so I just, with the scholarships, we said we're going to do a scholarship program. Um, or I well, I should say merit-based pricing, a scholarship. I'm, I'm concerned about using that because it's kind of like, oh, women and people right. of color can only come if they're on scholarship. And that, that's not the vibe. It was more like there are people who are up and coming in their careers who maybe can't afford 7500 I know I couldn't in the early parts of my career. Um, and in fact, they used to sneak into these conferences when they were four or five thousand dollars. And there were lots of those attempts as well. But <laughs> and we did have that, too. <laughs> I'm like, please don't do what I did for my Ooh. whole career. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, so it was hard to get speakers uh, who were women uh, and female. And so I made a strategic decision. I was like, OK, I'm going to find some people who are founders of companies. And so Tandis and Adina are founders of companies who are mm -hmm. doing extraordinary work in the world. And if I can't get, you know, there, there's like maybe four women who have billion dollar venture funds. We talked about this, I think, just two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, when we had that real talk. Actually, it was for Sunday's edition, I think, of VC Sunday School. We had a I think it was actually, yeah. yeah. Or the sun last Sunday, a week ago Sunday. In, in the changing face of, of VC. And, you know, all four of those women couldn't make it. Two of the four said they would love to come. Two of them, maybe not so much. And uh, it just was a timing thing, right? And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to not have women on stage. <laughs> that would be yeah. horrific. So I'm going to have to, you know, call an audible here. And I found women who are building amazing businesses. Uh, but, you know, uh, I invited Mary Meeker. I invited Katie Hahn. I invited Kathy Wood. And, and you know, some, some of those folks couldn't make it. And they would have been perfect fireside chats like Brad Gerson or Bill Gurley are, right? So mm -hmm. I wanted to have people with billion-dollar funds come. The the women with the billion-dollar funds couldn't make it this time, where some of them ghosted me, <laughs> if I'm being honest, and didn't respond. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, well, 
Didn't Tandis and Adina and Claire do an amazing job? I mean, there were they some- were incredible. They incredible. were incredible. So. And I will say, I think in typical Gemini fashion, mm. I was telling uh, our new president, Savino, I'm like, yeah, there's like two fully formed people in here. One is a, a glass ball of emotion and mm. the other one is Spock. And they right. are constantly, you know, so it's useful in terms of balance. But I understand both of those perspectives. The Spock perspective is like what is ultimately the all in goal right like you right. should we should just have these conversations and we can mm. disagree and that will that will maybe mean being on stage with someone who you profoundly disagree with but we should mm. be like we should all be you know brave enough and intellectually honest enough to have these conversations that is a hundred percent a valid viewpoint unless you're the person who experiences real harm right as a result of some of these conversations and so i think like both of those perspectives I would say, and I don't think the entire all-in audience would say this, are equally valid. Mm. Like if you're the person yeah. who's like, look, at the end of the day, nobody on the all-in podcast is going to experience one of these harms. They're just not. Shaboff. Person Maybe. of color, he, he gets pulled over, you know, like he could, he could experience stuff. Yeah. Right. But the okay. other three, no. So Chamath no. is the closest, but he's probably not getting no. pulled over in his Maybach. Not when he's Or being whatever taken, that yeah. version is, no. right? Like no. he's right. still, a. I mean, Chamath? We kept talking about this, like his whole demeanor. Uh -huh. I mean, he's a prince. Right. He is like royalty. Right. And he's rolling like royalties, right? So he is going to be insulated from some of those, if not all yeah. of those real harm impacts. Yeah. And so it's not, so it's not as easy as just being like, I'm intellectually dishonest, so I don't want to be on this stage. It's like, look, yeah. you're having an intellectual conversation about something that can cause people real harm. Mm. And so I don't have to be right. on that stage if I don't want to. And I sort of feel like I like struggled throughout with both of those things being weak, equally strong. But me personally, I was like, mm. these conversations are really interesting. They're sure. compelling. Yeah. You besties, by the way, are yeah. charming as right. Like the interaction is so delightful. Oh, you all, you. it takes so much trust right. to do what you do and to have the conversations that you have that I really right. enjoyed it. You might not realize it, but you've probably used Intercom before. You know when you visit a website and that little chat bubble pops up and they help you with any question you have? Well, that's Intercom. I literally used it this weekend. It's the best way to connect with your customers. Intercom's platform helps you engage and support your users through personalized chat-like experiences. And over 25,000 companies use it every single day. I kid you not. Because they want to foster their relationship with customers. They want to covet those customers. And those customers have great things to say. In fact, here's a testimonial from Twitter. It's almost like all websites I visit with that intercom chat button, I instantly associate them with great customer service, just like intercom intended. So if you're an early stage high growth startup, you can get access to intercom's early stage academy today at a 95% discount. Join the program today at intercom.com slash early dash stage or email them. That's how cool they are at intercom. They'll just, you just email them startups at intercom.io how easy is that when you do an event the content on stage is one piece of the puzzle the audience is the other piece right and totally, then yeah. there's the setting right so you look at those three pieces the setting was epic you know setting equals party and the venue etc the content what's on stage and then the audience yeah. because yeah. they are an equal participant in this three-legged stool and um we wound up i think being 36 percent female by the end of the day and it was amazing. I went to uh, the women who were coming had their own brunch. 
And they invited me to it. So Sunday morning, I went to brunch with them and had some waffles. Which was awesome. And was fantastic. And all of them were like incredible women doing incredible business in the world. So with 36% women, all of a sudden, I look over at the dance floor. There's DJ Spielberg. He's dancing with 20 women on the dance floor. You go to a tech (laughs) conference, there's no dancing. There's no fun. There's no joy. People don't get dressed up. And so you had like, it was actually like a real party like going to a, like the best wedding you ever went to. It was it like really three was. nights of the best wedding you ever went to or the best birthday party where couples came and like a, it was like a normal thing, not just a dude fest. And so then I get on the dance floor. I, I go to go to the dance floor. Who's on the dance floor with Spielberg? Friedberg. The hugest the way, nerd in the world is cutting a rug. That guy lived uh, it up. Oh my God. He him, lived it up. Living his best life. Uh, just. As, yeah having a blast like he i saw no sign of nerd with friedberg no too. sign like, of nerd no he, and he was, was living super his emotionally best life. intelligent in the palmer lucky conversation and yeah, he had yeah I, he, an he, he, he uh he, he he came out of his shell a bit he he pressed the flesh he went out there and took selfies with people he met people i gave everybody a little bit of coaching i said listen i know this is going to be intense for you let me give you a tip you can only talk to one person at a time so look one person in the eye and just tilt your head and say, hey, what do you do? Where are you from? And the uh, yeah, you'll have literally 25 people surround you. I mean, you probably saw these pods of like Chamath, Friedberg, and Sachs walking oh, around the party. Oh, it was intense. It was intense. And, um, you know, we then would look up and you just talk to one person at a time. And then the next person you talk to. And you, you talk to as many people as you can. If you get overwhelmed, you can just go backstage or, or to the VIP room and just take a break uh, for 10 minutes. And so the second party was the white part, Havana white party, which we did in a beautiful space, beautiful Havana band, DJ Spielberg tore it up, amazing food, beautiful setting. Amazing food. Uh, and, and you and I were at that party and we got mobbed because there was a lot of Mollywood fans at that party. And we started saying, oh, you took uh, dozens of selfies. It was uh, so nice. It was so cute. And Sacred one Space woman, was the name of that place space. Rachel pointed out. God, it's so cool. Like, go there if you're there. Yeah, yeah. Sacred Space is beautiful open space with just gorgeous setting. It's, it, I guess they use it for weddings and whatnot. We had a like nice a VIP movie. area. And... Um, it was pretty great. This one woman came up to Molly and I, and she said before, you know, she was a fan of Molly's, uh, I guess, at Marketplace and before at other stuff. And she said, you know, Molly, I I didn't think finance and business was something as a woman I would, you know, she was a very young person. Maybe she's in her 20, 20s. She said 20. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she said amazing. that you inspired me to be involved in venture capital, to be involved in tech and to be involved in finance. It was a very like touching moment. And I think, you know, it's a, kind of the work we do here is, you know, we talk about this stuff and, and Molly's like a bit of an inspiration for, for women getting in the industry. So I thought it that was, was quite really nice. really cool. It was nice just moment. a really great, it was a great time. Also the, the cars, was great. bravo on the cars. <laughs> I'm just going to say the Miami Vice car, the Miami Vice party had my actual lottery car, the Mercedes what 280. What car was that? It's the Mercedes 280 SL. Now ah. it is from the 60s. So a Got minor it. continuity error, but I'm going to give it to you because mm. that car is like, legitimately i'm like lottery car mm. 280 sl that's the one i was like stop everything <laughs> picture Wait, I time said, put a car in front of each party so people can take pictures in front of a car but have the car match the party so they had like you know in havana i guess there was because of the boycotts they couldn't have like a really nice car there but for the we put this mercedes in front of the miami vice party it should have been more like a testarossa or a lamborghini Countach or something like that 
But anyway, this oh, was a gorgeous there it is. <clears throat> but there it is, gorgeous. Oh. And uh, then we had a, uh, did they have a car, like a gangster car outside the? Uh, the Miami, yeah, it had a, like No, a, the Miami one, yes, and the Havana one, oh, yes. The good they had one of the old Havana, but I don't know if they had a car for I the Goodfellas I was sad, one. too. I was really sad that flight was so late because I had some great Palazzo pants and pearls for that party. <laughs> what a disappointment. Stupid Sorry. airlines. By the way, no one could get out of Miami. Like, in case you're wondering what flying that. is like Miami right now. was not easy. But Disaster. It, it's And listen, uh, some people got COVID. <laughs> it happens. Everybody uh, got COVID. There's like uh, three noties. Well, there's just a ton of people who it. haven't had COVID yet. And, uh, you know, I think. No, it's the, the, it, because it's surging nationwide right now. Like, you it's unfortunately, unfortunately, yes. we may have had a summit in the middle of a massive surge. That might have happened. Here's the thing. I, just hope uh, I think okay. what the government has decided at this point, if you look at the, I unpacked everything. If you look at what the government is saying, because I got a bunch of those alerts on my phone. Hey, you've been exposed to COVID. And I was like, yeah. I know I'm in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> like it went off three times while I was in Miami. I was like, if in Miami, you've been exposed. Because in Miami, I didn't see one mask the whole time I was there. I think the way they've designed the rules, it's like, if you don't have symptoms, Go, go on with your life. And it's like, really? Okay. <laughs> they, they have designed this now, I think, with the intention of everybody's going to get exposed. Do not try to stop people from getting exposed. Just try to keep the health system up and running and not overwhelmed. I think that's my best estimate of what the CDC and the governments have chosen to do at this point. Because look, this, this version Omicron is weaker and more you can catch it. And, and Sweden decided like, what, a year earlier than us that they would go through the eye of the storm and just reopen and they're still around. So I, I think. I mean, the 1918 pandemic was literally, uh, it lasted for years. Like we yeah. forget that. We think there was yeah. like a wave or two. It lasted for years. And this yeah. will too. It is a new virus in the world. It exists. Yeah. And at the end of it, and like, I, I don't, I don't know what else we can do. All I know is that everybody needed to be together because then yeah. we followed it up with, you know, a team and all staff, like team right. days of team meetings that were magical. It was yeah, magical. Yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah, I, I really felt team. like we made some good progress there and how we operate, what we do as a business, as investors. So mm -hmm. I was, shout out to Mike Savino and Charlie. Uh, shout out to Amber, did a great job. Rachel did a great job. Content team did a great job. Uh, just everybody across the board's That's registration tremendous. it was good and I, you know, I want to do more events so we're going to do a this week in startups live tour we're trying to figure out what that will be but you'll hear more about that molly and i basically interviewing somebody famous maybe in five different cities and then doing something that startups really need which is um they need funding they need employees and team members uh, and they need customers so I'm, I'm thinking about those three things the most acute needs for a startup and so if we can have i don't know 500 founder startups show up for a live event. How can we help them with those three needs? Getting funding, getting uh, team members, getting customers. And so we'll figure out some way to feature the startups at the startups event and, and do something for the community. And then also to just kind of meet each other and have a slice of pizza or whatever. Can't wait. I thought that was pretty great too. When they, Can't wait. At the end of the uh, Miami Vice Party, they just started walking around with like the best pizza in Miami and just giving people yeah. a slice of pizza. Because when, you, when you're three hours into a party, if a slice of pizza shows up, that's pretty great, huh? You're eating it. You're stoked. Yeah. You're like, that's what I need. I need a slice of pizza. Yeah. Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. You know about this problem. People start putting 
their personal mobile phone in documents, proposals, and it makes things super messy. If you're running your own company, you need to be professional and open phone helps you create a business phone number. And it's really easy. How easy is open phone? You install an app and you're done. You pick your number, you're done. And you can create a shared phone number. How great is that? You know how you have like an email for customer support, you do VIP at now you can have that for a phone number where multiple employees can feel calls and texts, including those texts, super important, because that's how a lot of business happens. A lot of these young folks, they don't want to talk on the phone, they want to text. Well, open phone can help you with that as well. And it's affordable already. It's just 10 bucks a month. I mean, it's so affordable. It's ridiculous. I think they should triple their prices. I think I would pay 30 bucks a month for this, but they charge 10. Swiss listeners can get an extra 20% off that for any plan for your first six months. That's even ridiculously generous. I mean, that puts it down to $8 a month. You're kidding me. You need to do it for yourself as an executive or a salesperson. Openphone.com slash twist. And if you have an existing phone number with another service that's overcharging you or that doesn't have this incredible feature set, they'll put it over for you. If you're thinking about phone numbers, I just want you to think openphone.com slash twist. That easy, folks. All right. So there's other news happening. Uh, that's the little recap here. Uh, but let's uh, let, let's tee up what we, you know, my favorite part of the show, which is the WLITF, which we might make into an actual show in the real world. Uh, now that I've uh, produced two of the top seven tech podcasts, I'm going to go for a third at some point. So this is going to be a show that Molly and I are going to do on Netflix or HBO at some point, I think. Uh, yes. And the show is going to be called We Live in the Future. Field and, uh, trips. I have all of the IP for this locked up. So W-L-I-T-F. Don't even try. Oh this is so exciting. I Seriously. have the domain name too. W-L-I-T-F dot com. We live in the future. Okay, so there's a segment called Future Tech on uh, always on way back in the day, and it's the best. When you get to go and try, be the person who tries out the like mind controlled skateboard. Yes, that's what we're talking about. You want to? We're talking about the really far, far out there stuff. So there's a startup uh, in in today's segment, Argo AI, and it's launched a driverless AV testing in Miami and Austin. Argo AI is a Pittsburgh-based autonomous vehicle company. It's backed by Ford and Volkswagen. Yep. Uh, And uh, this move to Miami and Austin differentiates it from the competitors who are operating uh, mainly in San Francisco, which I found fascinating that San Francisco, which... It's kind of opposed to everything. <laughs> and we, we kind of put except the kibosh. one thing. Yeah, they kind of put the kibosh on everything here, uh, except fentanyl. <laughs> Big fans of that in terms of living in the future. <laughs> and getting uh, pedestrians killed. Sorry. And getting I'm pedestrians. So sorry. Oh, sorry. It got dark. Um, it's a really, it got really weird in San Francisco. <laughs> it's, this is Molly sorry, after Nick, dark. I'm sorry. I got, a little, I got a little cold slash COVID. Like, I'm like, I don't yeah. know, whatever. It's Monday. Uh, it's Monday. So, uh, we, Cruise, obviously, uh, Waymo and Zooks are all operating here. But Argo AI uh, was acquired by Ford for a billion dollars and Volkswagen invested a couple billion dollars in it. Uh, it was last valued at 7.25. But uh, here's a demo video. Yeah, uh, they released for the ounce uh, for the announcement. And we'll just play the video and talk over it here for a moment. Just yeah, your standard car driving itself. Yep. I mean, this is a big deal. They have gone fully driverless yeah. in these cities. No, like, person sitting behind the wheel to take over just in case. No safety just driver. No safety driver. You see people sitting in the back like, we're going to die. Ha, ha, ha. Nope, they're, yeah. they're going great. A lot of Ford branding there. They're happy to come on anytime. Yep. One of my old buddies from Ford now does their uh, does all their comms. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Appar- and apparently, and this is kind of what is fascinating is that they are trying to instead of focusing on high speed on highways and Mm. sort of like big commuter corridors which is more actually the tesla approach they're like we're going for high density we're going for cities we want to be able to be a a robo taxi fleet 
in town. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the number of miles driven uh, is what will determine, you know, this working. And so we seem to be moving into a new phase. Um, we, we had these like proof of concepts and, you know, really good on the highway moments. And now they seem to be creating small corridors. They, they're saying, hey, let's just perfect, you know, this, you know, three by three mile area. So maybe we'll avoid certain high, super high density areas, but we're just going to perfect a small area. So my instinct is telling me that what these companies are now doing is they're saying, okay, if we can perfect this area and do a lot of manual intervention. So they're literally writing code like this particular block is troublesome because it's a narrow block. And if somebody double parks, there's just not enough room to go around it. Like they're doing that level of manual intervention to make sure this stuff is safe. And, and I, I think that's pretty wise. Because once you get the most difficult places dialed in, then what do you do? You just you open up to another three by now instead of it being three by three miles, now it's five by five, now it's 10 by 10. So that's what I think, that's what I suspect is happening here. The regulator said, can you not kill anybody? Can you not run into a baby, a stroller, you know, a car, a, a dog in a three by three area will keep you contained and then go a little wider, a little wider. And, and, and I think this is going to be, um, I think, I think this is the, the tipping point that we're actually experiencing yeah. uh, and that things are going to start cascading faster and faster. Uh, because it's not one person. Now it's four people getting this done yeah. simultaneously, at least. And, and my, my position model was always, I think there's going to be five, six people who get there at the same time and it becomes a commodity and it's in every car. And sure, there'll be different winners, but you know, I think Uber, Lyft are going to have access because Ford doesn't want to run a ride sharing. I think Tesla does want to run their own ride sharing. I, I think a lot of these companies want to just sell it to consumers and other folks so you're just i think these things will be in the the uber and lyft fleets and the doordash fleets imminently yeah. imminently like it's a huge... as in the next two or three years uh yeah, yeah. argo is going to be operating cars and lyft's fleet and the other thing i think the other one thing to note about argo and these companies all starting to get here at the same time is that they're also going to operate in uh detroit pittsburgh hamburg mm -hmm. i bring those up specifically because those are cities in which it snows like so far, we've seen a lot of these companies operate in cities where it's increasing levels of difficulty in terms of the yeah. right, like boss level is in a city uh, mm -hmm. or in San Francisco or in Austin. But these cars have been fooled by, right? There's so much development was in California that then they got them into the snow and they were like, oh, crap, they can't see. So they're yeah. like really pushing forward into harder and harder and harder driving modes. And that's what legitimately gets us closer after all these years of being like, it's five years away. It's you know, I, I think the snow areas having um, used autopilot in snow uh, or like very gently attempted it. I think this is going to be the really hard weather is going to be the super hard. Uh, that's like the super boss. What do they call the end boss? Like there's like a mega boss. Some yeah. Some the final boss is going to be mega, really mega hard. Boss, yeah. Mega boss. I think it's the final boss. Like that's yeah. the final boss level is like you're in Boston and there's black ice because you know what? Totally. Humans can't defeat that. So if these cars have snow tires on it and they're like, you know what? We shouldn't be driving. I think that's when you're going to kind of figure out the end of this is when these cars just pull over to the side of the road and they're like, 
nobody should be driving in these conditions. That's that that's the um, the final boss. And, you know, that feels like five years from now, six, seven years from now. I feel like going and de delivering, you know, uh, some groceries, that's going to be sick. Like you're gonna be like your groceries are at outside and you go outside and like, you have your phone with you. And it's like, yeah, just open the back open the trunk just opens, you know, you, you press open trunk, and you see five bags with your name on it. And five bags with Molly's name on it. I was like, here's five bags for Jason, it's five bags for Molly. Don't take the Molly bags, take the Jason bags. You take your bags out, your bags are there, it goes to the next thing. So imagine food delivery, grocery delivery with half the cost. I think this brings it down to about half the cost without the driver. And uh, yeah. So and yeah, over time, this is like a huge climate story. Like we don't, you know, we've almost forgotten what yes. a big deal it is to be able to optimize traffic with autonomous driving. That's farther out, yeah. the idea that there would be every Every car on the road is autonomous, but I could imagine a time when it's like you have zones, right? The Bay Bridge, I'm sorry, uh, humans, you're too stupid for this. Like it has to, you have to be in autonomous mode or in an autonomous pod or vehicle to go over the Bay Bridge because that traffic is just like a huge emissions bomb. Yeah. And, and yeah. traffic, gigatons, gigaton level savings. Yeah. Well, because you're not sitting there idling and mm -hmm. idling is you know just horrific if horrific. people can if your if your trip is takes half as long it's half as much emissions i, I guess right or even just uh, slowing and then accelerating and slowing and then accelerating it's just yeah. like yeah anyway it's super cool yeah congratulations and, and congrats the argo coming. Yep. yeah uh okay now this is interesting this next story, yeah, right? this next I, story I saw this part. and I, this didn't make sense to me um, but this is, uh, yeah, tee this one up because this one's confounding. We got to unpack this one. I know we're going to need a lot more details, but here's what we know so far. According to anonymous sources who spoke to Bloomberg, Amazon is looking to sublet at least 10 million square feet of warehouse space and could vacate even more by ending leases as shopping volume cools. Now we know, of course, that Amazon has sucked up tons of like, they've like, taken over malls and built all these warehouses or taken yeah. over all these empty warehouses. And now they're like, uh, I guess there's going to be less retail. And so they want to dump 10 million square feet of space and potentially employees. Like there are so a lot they, of questions. Wait, no, no, a lot of hold on a second. One there's thing at a time. It, what I'm trying to figure out is Amazon is so good at predicting things. Mm -hmm. How did they, right get this wrong because i don't think that commerce has collapsed i'm ordering more than ever i i get that the pandemic's over and there might have been a spike there but somebody at amazon i, I guess based on this if this is true because again this is anonymous sources i believe that they have 10 million uh square feet of excess that they want to sublet that's a lot of extra space so yeah. did they who made that mistake that they did that much extra space did they miscalculate that or um are they getting more efficient with their space in other words they're just like you know what we can go higher in a space we can use more robots in a space something went wrong here that they overestimated this amount of space or did it go wrong is it just like a, the natural expansion and contraction so we'd had mm. the pandemic there was extra money people were at home and they couldn't go on trips so they spent a lot of money on stuff yeah. and so amazon might have been like yeah we expanded to meet that demand and now we're contracting because there's a recession coming and people are going to be traveling more and they're going to be doing different things i mean if it's true it's a an indicator of i think <laughs> like the it's like oh okay the recession is happening 
Um, but it's hard to it's hard to know if it was really a miss. I mean, they couldn't not expand to meet all that yeah. customer demand. So, yeah, the question here is, uh, I, you know, it's interesting is I know people who are looking for, uh, I have a couple of companies we invested in that were looking for warehouse space. And they said like a lot of the spaces they were looking at that Amazon very quickly over the last couple of years would just take them. So they were just taking everything on the market. Now they yep. have so much money. They're such a powerful business that maybe they kind of took it just in case knowing they could sublet it. So think about this next level. There has been a real shortage of these spaces. So in July 2021, Supply Chain Drive, which is a, somebody who covers the space apparently, reported Los Angeles and Central New Jersey had industrial vacancy rates of 1.7 and 1.8% uh, in Q2. And that's way below the industrial, the national uh, rate for this industrial type space, not place. Yep. This, this can't be used as office space. When it's industrial space, it's not designed for offices, it's just designed to store stuff, right? Yep. Um, and the na national vacancy rate was 4.5. Both of all those numbers are very low. Um, so I think they didn't want to get cut out maybe. So they were like, you know what? Let's just take it since we have the money. We'll take the leases. And if we wind up with a little extra, right. we can always sublet it to the people who have the demand anyway, and maybe they make a profit on it. So this may not be as bad as it seems. And you know, the, the overall percentage of what this is. So according to this article, Amazon leased 370 million square feet of industrial space in the US at the end of 2021. I mean, this is a large amount of space. But if they're getting 10 million, is that like two or 3%? So 2.5, 3%. It's actually a very small percentage of theirs. It's a large number, 10 million, uh, as a literal number. But as a percentage of their space, it's a rounding error for them. Well, but here's what I want to know as a result of that, right? So let's yeah. say they close 3% of their warehouse space. If you like go to DuckDuckGo and type in Amazon warehouse jobs and then go to news, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like Amazon to deliver jobs, tax revenue, traffic to Route 9A corridor in Hawthorne, New Jersey. Uh, Tri-Cities warehouse will employ this many people. Like, are they also getting, are they also laying people off? Because yeah. when those warehouses came in, and I just, I thought it was a little weird that the Bloomberg story didn't mention that at all. Like, if they're not going to be using these warehouses for Amazon warehouses, are they then presumably, and this was a big argument, right? Amazon would come in and they're like, we're going to take over this space. It's going to be a warehouse. It's going to be a lot of jobs. I I'm just, I'm like, wait, are there jobs associated with this space? And it's totally yeah. unclear. I can't, I have no answer to this right now, but I would assume so. Yeah, I... I think they're going to constantly be in this back and forth between automation and their growth. So my guess would be they go steady state, which is to say, you know, whatever number of employees they have now, if they keep growing the amount being delivered, I bet you they're going to offset it with um, the gains in robotics, right? So th they kind of have this thing where if you ever watch people packing stuff, the robots have picked it off a shelf put it onto into a bucket, and then the person kind of just inspects it and puts it in the box, tapes it up, and they make yeah. sure that the right things are in the box. Um, but I actually know the space because um, it's typically been a dollar per, per month for this kind of space. I know because I wanted to buy one of these buildings recently. Um, per square foot? Per square foot per month. So okay. I just asked our producers to pull that number, and I said it's a dollar a month um, for this stuff. And so $9.50 per year is what it costs. So you divide that by 12, it's less than 75 cents uh, per month. So in fact, 
if it was a dollar and they had 10 million extra, it's $10 million, it's 100 million a year. So it's this is basically not going to cost Amazon all that much to have this extra space and to sublet it. So this might be like the, the, the variable that might have been left out of this story is what this actually costs them. They have 36 billion in cash, an extra 100 million a year in extra space, probably worth it to have it. So yeah. this might be a, a big nothing. Um, it's just they like to have a little extra capacity and they're subletting it right now. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's a nothing burger. Definitely. Uh, it definitely suggests at a minimum that they yeah. don't need the extra capacity anymore because yeah. e-commerce consumption is going down, which is not actually that surprising given every single other trend happening in the economy right now. I, the, the number we really would need to look at is, you know, the, the COVID bump. What was it in 2019? Right. COVID was 2020, 2021. So if you get 2019's number and 2022, the second half of 2022's number, and we just compare second half of 2019 to second half, Q3 and Q4 2019 to Q4 23 and 24, that's going to be the real interesting uh, comparison for e-commerce companies because it's right before COVID started and it's like, you know, give it a six months mulligan with COVID. I want, I don't want to say ending because I know people get upset when <laughs> people are, are, people are so emotional about COVID. I, you know, I think it feels like the emotion is coming out of COVID now as it's an endemic. So I won't say COVID ended, but COVID moved to the endemic version of COVID, which is, hey, we're going to deal with it. And then I think a lot of people are going to have, I think we're going to move into a space of resentment. That's my prediction, like later this year, of people are going to say, okay, it was clear we should have shut down for that first year, but did we need to shut down for the second year or the second half of the year? And my kids lost some education moments, whatever. And what I think about all this is, hey, once in a hundred year pandemic, you're not going to get it perfect. You know, like you, you can't possibly perfectly know yeah. when to reopen. And you're not going to get it perfect. Although we are now like just tearing ourselves up for something even worse by like not even funding vaccine distribution, even in the US, let alone the rest of the world. Like we're still screwing some stuff up because I, yeah, I, I saw somebody the other day post about having their insurance denied over their long COVID. My mom has long COVID. Like. Yeah, it's people that, are going to remain. I'm only going to caution you that people are <laughs> going to remain emotional because for the people it's hit really hard, whether yes. it was a death or long COVID, which yes. is existing. You have a different ongoing, feeling right? about this. Yes. My mom lost her best friend to COVID and, you know, she feels differently about it. Right. Yeah. If you have an immunocompromised, it's a really good point. If you have an immunocompromised person in your life, um, you still feel like why is everybody taking this risk? Exactly. Because it's your mom or your dad. You know, I feel that way too. I, you know, my, my dad I, uh, is a cancer survivor. My mom's a cancer survivor. They're older. I do think about it. And, you know, you, you can, it's hard to hold both of these things. If you lost yeah. a parent to it, if you're, you know, if you have long COVID, you're going to still have this very strong emotion about COVID. And then for everybody else who maybe didn't have that, you're like, why did I give up my vacation? Why did I, I give up? My, why it's did my hard. kids suffer? And back to having tough conversations. Like it's a situation. It's a you know? situation. It's and a really situation we all had to go through and let's not attack each other about it. Let's, Let, not let's attack just keep each other. moving forward. Yeah. Like, wouldn't I mean, it be nice if we could have like a government what that was just like, here's the thing. This is now uh, a virus that lives with us. It's endemic for most. It's not for others. We, the government, because it's our job to do this, are doing our very best to make sure that the people who could be the worst affected by this are taken care of. Because that's the only way to move. We got to move forward. We can't keep society closed forever. And, you know, it, it's like when, um, you know, I, I find it analogous to like 
how we treated the first responders after 9-11 or how we treated people coming back from Iraq war, Afghanistan war. Like if we can't just treat those folks excellent, like to the best of our ability, like what's wrong with our society? You know, totally. when, when, when John Stewart had to like use his celebrity to go to Washington to be like, to shame these God, you know, absolute horrific people who were, you know, just, oh my God, the first responders, they're, they're, you know, out on the West Side Highway, standing ovation for risking your life, of which my brother is one. Yes. Who, you know, has lung issues after being on that pit, trying to look for bodies and put that fire out at 9-11. And, you know, like the committee doesn't even show up. Yeah. You know, and they could, they could give two shits, like, and it's like, we're, we're talking about thousands of people and we can't just give them all the resources possible. Like, we're talking about asthma. We're talking about, well, just give them every resource we can. If somebody comes back from the Iraq war or Afghanistan with PTSD because they saw their, their brothers and sisters in arms blown up by a, an improvised explosive device, like, just give them everything. Give them we everything. have the resources. Give them everything they need. Yeah. Stop with them. Yep. It's the same thing with long COVID. Just and it's the same thing with the immunocompromised. They're real people that didn't do anything to end up like this. We have the money. Just do it. Spend the money. You can just bleep out the ads, please. But oh, no cursing on this week in Star Wars. Just bleep it out, please, because we want to keep our rating top pings. Yes. But it is that really annoying. Just it to is. put one more in it. Like, it's so annoying that, you know, we couldn't do this. Agreed. <laughs>